You're listening to audio from Highland Baptist Church in Waco, Texas. To find out more about Highland, go to www.hbcwaco.org. Amen. You can be seated. Welcome to Highland, 10 o'clock. And to many of you, uh, freshmen, welcome to, to Waco. For those new to Waco, the street is pronounced Bosky, and Valley Mills Drive does not have a valley, nor any mills, nor does it actually lead you to a real city called Valley Mills that's right outside of Waco. So welcome to Waco, basically, is what I'm trying to say. We're starting a brand new series today called Hope Thirst. And I know we're all looking for hope because every human is looking for hope. Um, hope is that, is that thing that kind of keeps you going. It's that expectation that tomorrow is going to be better than today. It's that expectation that things will eventually work out. We create problems in our own lives when we look for hope in the wrong places. Uh, think back on probably some of the worst decisions you made. It's probably because you were looking for hopeful things in places that there, there really was no hope at all. Uh, basically, hope is confidence that we exist for a purpose and that everything that happens to us in life is for a purpose. Basically, hope that is not tied to Jesus is not hope at all. And there's an overwhelming feeling I have um, every Sunday when I stand in front of you. I think about all the needs of all the people represented in this room and those watching online. Think about all the challenges that, that you're facing, whether it be at work or at home, uh, in relationships, at school perhaps. Some of you need strength because you're really tired. And college students, college hadn't even started yet until tomorrow, and you're tired already. Uh, others need peace, and maybe you need peace in your heart or peace in your mind because you're wrestling with some things. Some people need, need wisdom for decisions that they're making, maybe decisions with their finances or what your major is going to be, or decisions in, in relationships. Others need comfort amidst maybe some pain that you've gone through, or grief. Or maybe you've lost someone or lost something. Some of you need healing, uh, maybe physically or even emotionally. Some of you need joy because every day just kind of seems like a fight for joy. And then some of you are probably thinking, preacher guy, I'm, I'm letter D, like all the above. I need all of those things in, in my life. So whenever I think about this, honestly, from this vantage point, it becomes a little overwhelming of all the things that, that you're going through. It really it drives me to, to two places or two things. One is to pray for you. And, and, and I strive to intercede for you during the week. I, I pray for you generally for those that I know specifically about a specific situation in your life or a specific prayer request, I strive to intercede for you that God might meet all of your needs to the richness of Christ Jesus. The second thing it does, it drives me to love God's word. Because when we come to God's word, we're coming to a God who, who knows all of our needs even before we know our own needs. He's the God that knows everything that will be happening in our lives. And he, this God, is with us right now. And he's about to speak to us personally through his word to every single one of us for every single need we have. What an awesome reality. So let's hear God today. With your copy of God's word, would you go with me, please, to the Gospel of Mark. It's the second book in the New Testament. We'll go to Mark chapter 6 together. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, right there at the beginning. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, I bet someone nice to you will be glad to share with you. 
If no one is nice around you, you may want to move seats, but maybe you could find someone nice too. Be glad to share their copy of God's Word. You can go to your device, of course, as well. Mark chapter 6. Let me give you a little context. We're going to be at the very end of Mark 6. Jesus has fed 5,000 men, so probably more like 15, maybe 20,000 people with just five loaves of bread and, and two fish. You might know the story. And we know in John's account of that story of the feeding of the 5,000, right after Jesus fed all those people, they were ready to crown Jesus as king. Mark it down. People love free food. They wanted him to be the king at that point. But Jesus knew that was not the Father's plan for him to be crowned as king at that time, in that way, in, in that place. So he wanted to get the disciples away quickly. This is where we pick it up here. Mark chapter 6, let's begin in verse 45. Immediately, Mark's favorite word, he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them. But when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. But they all saw him and they were terrified. But immediately, his favorite word, he spoke to them and said, here's what Jesus said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And he got into the boat with them and the wind ceased and they were utterly astounded for they did not understand about the loaves that he was the Christ, that he could do anything, but their hearts were hardened. So much here, so little time to preach it today. The hope found in this story is abounding. And I would love for you today to hear what God is saying to you in the middle of any storm that you might be facing or may face one day in every storm of your life. And if you're not walking through a storm or a challenge right now, you may want to write these things down for the day that you do, or write these things down for someone who is going through a great time of challenge right now, because you're either coming out of a storm you're in a storm or you're going into a storm. How's that for an encouraging news right before the semester begins? We're all in storms, headed out of one or going right into one. Here is what God is saying to us today in this place right now in his word. Number one, Jesus will lead you into storms. I may have already messed up your theology. Did you notice that Jesus is the one who told his disciples to get into the boat? In other words, Jesus sent his disciples into a storm. He sent them out probably somewhere about 7 o'clock, 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock after everybody had eaten that dinner, that free meal. Then afterwards, we see in verse 48, if your Bible's still open, Mark tells us that Jesus came out to them on the fourth watch of the night. That is somewhere between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., early, early in the morning. So these disciples were on this boat for at least six hours, maybe maybe nine hours, doing what? Verse 48, painfully making headway with the wind that was against them. All because they did what Jesus told them to do. They obeyed Jesus and Jesus led them into a storm. Now let me be, be clear. There are certainly times in our lives when we disobey God and it takes us into a storm. Um, storms and sin often are like connected to one another. That's not what's happening here. There are also times when we face storms not because of our disobedience to Jesus, but because of our obedience to Jesus. We shouldn't be surprised by this at all. It's all over the Bible. I mean, Job suffered because he obeyed God. 
He suffered because he, he would not push God away. He trusted God through it all. He was blameless before God. Think about Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. They found themselves in a fiery furnace because they obeyed God. Daniel in, in a den of lions because he obeyed God. Prophet after prophet in, in the Old Testament, thrown into wells, starved, put in chains, accused, sunk in mud, and that's just Jeremiah, all for obeying God. So don't get the impression in here today that somehow if we always obey God, that it's a pathway to a smooth life. Sometimes it's just the opposite. Would you consider Jesus with me? Who died because he was obedient to the Father. Note takers, when you stepped into Christ, you stepped into coming storms. Or as David Platt puts it, when you signed up for Jesus, you signed up for suffering. Like when we said yes to Christ, we're also saying yes to some difficult times in life that Jesus himself would lead us into. I'll give you some, some examples. If you're going to share the gospel this week with someone who does not know Christ, you'll probably walk straight into a storm. If you're going to give financially, maybe even give sacrificially to, to a church or to a ministry or to a family, you're going to walk right into a storm. If we're going to care for the poor and the hungry in our neighborhood, if we're going to be a part of fostering and, and adopting and caring for the widows and caring for the refugees, we as a church, we will step directly into a storm. We have brothers and sisters in the Ukraine right now following Jesus straight into a storm. So the picture is clear in this passage right here. When you follow Jesus, don't be surprised when storms come. Just because the wind is against you does not mean that you've deviated away from the path of God. It could mean that you're directly on God's path for you. Number two, Jesus sees you in your storms. Do you see the first three words of verse 48, at least in the ESV? And he saw. Jesus saw. Just meditate for a second on the simple significance of those two words. He saw. Jesus knew exactly what was going on in the lives of, of his disciples. He saw where they started. He saw where they were now. And he knew where they were going to go. Even though the disciples could not see that. Jesus knew things and saw things that the disciples could not see and could not know. Note takers, when we go through storms, we never see the whole story. When we're going through storms, we have no idea what's going on. Jesus always sees with a perspective that's far wider and far truer than our own perspective. Many, time all, many times all we see is the waves around us and, and the wind that is against us. And, and we're going through storms. All we're seeing is all the effects of, of the storms. And it causes us uh, chaos and confusion, maybe even to question the goodness of God or the presence of God. Whenever we go through storms, we always, always, always have a limited perspective. The reality is no matter what happens in our storms, our perspective is always merely partial. That part of the entire point of the book, the Old Testament book of Job, is that God is at work all around us even when we don't see him at work. So here, here's Jesus on the other side of the mountain. He is seeing and he is knowing and his disciples are, are going through. Even the disciples did not see that and could not know. Just like you and I, when we're in storms, we can't see and we don't know the whole story. But you can hide this away in your heart. In fact, if there's nothing else you hear me say today, hear me say this. When you struggle to see Jesus, he does not struggle to see you. He sees you. 
He cares for you. He, he knows you. Thirdly, Jesus is praying for you in the storm. We see this back in verse 46. Your Bible's still open. The disciples are being tossed on, on the sea. And while they're in the storm out there, Jesus on a mountainside up there praying. Doubtless, he is interceding for his disciples, praying for their strength, praying for their faith, praying for their safety. So when we walk through storms, we often find ourselves praying, God, would you please help me in this? When you're going through challenges or difficult seasons of life, we often pray, God, would you, would you help me through this? And that is a great prayer to pray. But I also want you to realize that Jesus also is praying for you. Oh, what do you mean Jesus is praying for us? Look on the screen behind me, if you don't mind, at Romans chapter 8. Let me just read verses 31 through 34 to you. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him, with Christ, graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who shall condemn us? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus. He is the one who died. More than that was raised. Who is at the right hand of God interceding for us. Jesus is praying a perfect prayer for you. Don't get over this, sister. Don't get over this, brother. That Christ himself is praying a perfect prayer for you and all the things that you need in the middle of your challenges, in the middle of your storms. In fact, what Romans says right after this is, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or hardship or peril or famine or nakedness or sword? No. In all of these things, we are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor things present, nor things to come, nor any height, or depth, or anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. That King of kings, that Lord of lords, that supreme one is praying for you. What peace what hope that affords, what hope that produces, that Christ sees you, he is praying for you. So you can write this in your notes also. Perspective changes as we realize God's son is interceding on our behalf. So mom and dad, it's gonna be a tough semester in front of you. Jesus is praying for you. Don't give up. College students, maybe a busy, overwhelming semester in front of you, do not give up. Jesus himself, the son of God, is praying for you. And that completely rearranges our perspective amidst all of our needs. When hope is hard to come by, there is Jesus at the right hand of God interceding from you, for you, for everything that you need, ready to give you everything you need at every moment that you need it. That gives such hope in a place of life sometimes where we can find no hope. Fourthly, Jesus is our greatest need in the storm. When you're in a storm, or you're in a time of challenge, a season of challenge, a season of hardship, we all tend to look for the same thing, don't we? We look for strength or for wisdom. We look for faith. We look for courage. We look for confidence in the middle of, of that storm. But the way that this story is told is told in such a way that we see that ultimately our greatest need is not those things. Ultimately, our greatest need is Jesus. Let me show you again. Again, verse 48. It's like we've been there all morning long. So interesting. Jesus comes to them walking on the sea, and it says, look what it says. So weird. He meant to pass by them. What? Like Jesus was trying to sneak past them and they see him and he's like, all right, you found me. I'll, I'll go over and help you now. 
But that's not what's going on here. I want you to see the beauty of the scripture and the way that speaks so intentionally with this phrase. He meant to pass by them. It takes us back to the Old Testament, that phrase, pass by them, when God's people were going through difficult times, storms themselves. And God revealed his nature, his character to his people in, in deeper ways, in greater ways. And the language when that happens is passing by them. Moses was experiencing a storm. He was trying to lead all these people and no one was following him in that. And it was a difficult time for him. He was experiencing these storms. And he says, God, I need to see you. I need your help in the middle of this trial, in the middle of this situation. And listen to God's response. You'll see it on the screen behind me. Exodus chapter 33. Here's what God says. I will make all my goodness pass by you. And will proclaim before you my name, Yahweh, the Lord. Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory, here's that phrase again, passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by you. That phrase, passing by, is the way that God spoke about revealing his glory in, in, in a greater way. In fact, the very next chapter, you see this on the screen also, Exodus chapter 34, verse 6, the Lord, Yahweh, passed by Moses. And proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And Moses saw God in a way that he had never seen him before as he passed by him. Fast forward to, to Elijah's life. Uh, he's, he's on a mountaintop, and he's so discouraged. He wants his life to end. That's how hopeless he is feeling at this part. Listen and see how God revealed himself to Elijah. It's on the screen also. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 11. God said to Elijah, go out, stand on the mountain before the Lord, and behold, the Lord passed by. And you probably know the rest of the story. God wasn't in the wind, was not in the fire, was not in the earthquake. But God revealed himself to Elijah there on Mount Oreb in a way that he had never revealed himself before with a still, small voice. It was there that the Lord revealed himself to Elijah as he passed by him. So now in our story, we see that phrase that Jesus intended to pass by them. This brings a whole new meaning, doesn't it? Now we realize that Jesus intended to show his disciples a glimpse of his character, a glimpse of his glory that they had never seen before, and he did. In fact, in, in Matthew's account of, of this story, when, when Jesus got onto the boat, all the disciples began to bow down and worship the Lord, and this is what they say, surely you are the Son of God. And it's the first time in the Bible that the disciples recognized and confessed Jesus as the Son of God. Because Christ, even just in passing by them, began to reveal himself to them in a greater way. You note takers can write this down. In the middle of a storm, Jesus reveals his glory, his grace, his power, and love in fresh ways. Did you just see that I swallowed a fly like just then? Did you see that thing fly into my mouth? I just swallowed it just then. So I, we're, we're okay now. In case y'all are afraid that fly was going to attack you, it's in my belly now. So I just swallowed that about 30 seconds ago. He shows us who he is in the storms and like this, this, this deeper way. Then we begin to realize he's the one that we needed 
all along. I'll say it again. Our greatest need in the middle of storms is not more courage or more faith or more wisdom or more friends or more community. Our greatest need in the time of storm is Jesus himself who is sovereign over all the situations of life. Fifthly, Jesus is with you in the storm. Listen, let that sink in because you may be in a storm or headed right to one that you don't even know about that's going to happen this week. Jesus is with you. The one that you need the most is with you. Look, surprise, surprise again. Verse 48, about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. Uh, for you hunters, you probably know this, you, you campers, maybe you mountain hikers, that the darkest it is and the coolest it is, or the coldest it is sometimes, is that last watch between three o'clock in the morning and six o'clock in the morning. And so it was the darkest part of the night I don't think we need to miss this at all. It was the darkest part of the night when Jesus showed up. Note takers, soak this in. At the darkest point of your life, when strength is at its lowest and despair is at its highest, Jesus will show up. I know this room is filled with 18, 19, 20, and 21-year-olds. And as you're walking out today, you feel the full freedom to find someone older than you. You know, like an old person, 23 years old or something, an old person, and just, just ask them, what, is that preacher, was he, was he telling the truth? When you've gone through storms, people older than I am, as you've gone through storms, has Jesus always showed up? Thank you, older than 21 person over there. <laughs> ask. He always shows up, and it's usually at the darkest Point when strength is at its lowest and despair is at its highest, Jesus has seen you all along and he's not about to leave you alone in that storm. We don't serve and know a distant Savior. It gets even, even better. Verse 49, and when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and they cried out. And this was not a cry of faith, it was a cry of fear. Four, verse 50, they saw him and were terrified, but immediately Christ spoke to them saying three things. Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Did you see this story? There is no faith at all in these disciples. Faithless. They were crying. And Jesus comes to them anyway. What a picture of the love and the mercy of Christ who comes to us even in our faithlessness. How encouraging. Even when we can't produce a heart of faith, Jesus is still showing up. Six, and I'm done. Jesus will lead you through the storm. Uh, with your Bible still open, I hope. Verse 51, Jesus gets in the boat with them. The wind ceases. They are shocked. They don't understand what Christ had done with the bread and the fish. And here, we didn't read this, but in verse 53, they, they cross over to the other side. It took us a few seconds to read this story. This was a several-hour peril adventure for the disciples. But Christ comes to them, even when they're thinking, how long is this going to last? Will this ever end? And finally, it ended. Jesus led them through the storm. Here's the deal. I obviously do not know what your storm looks like on the other side. 
I obviously have no idea what God is doing or how your story will unfold will unfold, or what the storm will look like on the other side for you or what life will look like on the other side of the storm and, and you don't know either. But I can tell you this, my last thing for the day, for all who love and worship God, Jesus will lead you through to the end and that end will be good. However he leads you. And to make sure you understand, I'm not preaching a prosperity gospel here. How will that end be good? How can I guarantee that? Because it either be spiritual maturity at the end of that storm or a testimony at the end of that storm or increased faith at the end of that storm. Or listen, it may be heaven itself. But when Jesus is leading you through a storm, the end will always be good, guaranteed. So sister in Christ and brother in Christ, take heart, find hope here. There's a lot we don't know about our storms, but there's so much we know to be true about our Jesus. And we can build our lives upon him. And in that family, we find hope. Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for your word to us. We thank you for the reality that you're with us in our storms. You pray for us in our storms. We even trust you now when you send us into storms, that you are producing something in us that would not be produced if everything around us was calm and easy and peaceful. We confess you as the Lord of our lives. Jesus, you are the Lord. And we thank you that you're in the storm with us and that your promise to us, your commitment to us is that you will lead us through that storm and the end of that storm will be good because you're good and we trust you and your people sing to you. Amen.